This is The Guardian. Apocalyptic thriller The Last of Us has been the must-watch TV series of the year so far, both engrossing and terrifying audiences. Best guess, cordyceps mutated. If you haven't heard about it, the premise is that a fungal infection has taken over the world. We started to get sick. Afternoon, evening, they got worse. Then they started biting. The show has caught the imagination of its viewers, who know a little bit about what it's like to live through a global pandemic. Except in this version, there's no medicines and no vaccines. What there is, is a lot of horrible mushroomy zombies that are keen to take a bite out of any survivor they find. But how much of a threat are fungi to humans? Is a fungal pandemic really possible? And are we prepared? From The Guardian, I'm Madeline Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. Linda Geddes, you're a science correspondent at The Guardian, and so recently you had the fungal job of writing about the possibility of fungal pandemics, which most of us are now terrified about after watching The Last of Us. What did you make of the show? I think it's a champignon show. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I have to say, when I first saw this fungus, cordyceps, which is also known as kind of a zombie ant fungus, when I first saw that this is what was causing the humans to become zombies and what happens to the people when they're infected is they just become classic zombies and go around biting people and somehow develop superhuman strength and speed and run in the same kind of jolty way as all zombies do. I was a bit like, oh God, here we go. But I mean, the show is it's really, really good and it explores a kind of full-blown apocalyptic pandemic scenario in lots of depth. But I want to tell you the story of the zombie ant fungus because it is fascinating. With this fungus, it's cordyceps. It infects ants that usually kind of troop along the forest floor. When they're infected, they change their behaviour. So the fungus affects their brains and it causes them to kind of walk up plants and basically chomp onto the bottom of a leaf and then kind of dangle for several days until they grow this kind of fruiting spore from their heads and then it explodes and then disperses these fungal spores onto the forest floor to infect their fellow ants. Now, the idea of that fungus suddenly being able to infect humans and do the same thing is really unlikely because even if that fungus did infect a human, the chances that it would immediately be able to activate the same brain pathways and, and radically alter our behaviour, even in any way, is really unlikely. It's, it would likely take you know thousands, maybe millions of years of evolution for that to happen. Now, the show isn't the only reason that we're thinking about fungi at the moment. There's also a growing issue with antifungal treatment resistance, the climate crisis causing problems for us and, understandably, a strong desire to prevent another pandemic. But before we get into all of that, I'd really like to know more about the wonderful world of fungi. Linda, are you into mushrooms? 
I am a big fungophile. I mean, they are incredible. They're the most populous life form on the planet. You are breathing in um, almost certainly fungal spores right now. There's an estimated 12 million species, most of which we know nothing about and they've never been characterized. These estimates are just based on DNA and extrapolation. Um, but they're hugely diverse, you know, going from the kind of field mushrooms that you eat with your fry up on a Sunday to the black mildew that grows in bathrooms to things like um, penicillium, which is a genus of fungi that plays a role in food spoilage, but it also is what causes the blue mould and the taste of rock for. And of course, it's the source of penicillin, which was the first antibiotic. There are other fungi that are capable of breaking down plastics and are being investigated as, as a way of dealing with pollution. And they also break down organic waste. So, you know, they, they have this kind of like dual positive negative role. In that negative role, there are a few hundred species we know of that can infect humans. So tell me more about those. So fungi are responsible for about a billion infections worldwide each year. The most common ones are a nuisance, but they're not deadly. So, you know, I'm sure many women will have experienced thrush, which is caused by yeast. Um, lots of people will have experienced athlete's foot. But fungi do kill about 2 million people each year, which is more than TB or malaria. And that number is growing. Most of the people who die from these, these kind of really deadly fungal infections are people who have a problem with their immune system. So they might have HIV, or they might be receiving treatment for, for cancer. But there are some fungal infections that can infect healthy people and be fatal. There's this sort of dust-borne fungi in parts of Mexico and North America, which causes this disease called valley fever, which, you know, some people have no symptoms, other people develop a meningitis-like disease and die. So they can kill healthy people, but they also kill huge numbers of people with compromised immune systems each year. This is why the World Health Organization released its fungal priority pathogens list last year. Tell me about the ones that are on that list that the WHO think we need to be really looking at carefully. Well, the ones that are right at the top of the list are three forms of very dangerous and pathogenic yeast, including this thing called Candida auris, which can trigger blood infections or invade organs and, and compromise their function. Also, this fungus called Aspergillus fumigatus, which is a common mould that's found in soil and decaying vegetation, which actually most of us are breathing in all the time, but it can in some people cause this life-threatening infection called aspergillosis. It's a kind of lung disease that causes a pneumonia-like disease, which can be deadly. There's this horrible disease called mucomycosis or black fungus syndrome, which people might have read about in the context of COVID because it seemed to become more common um, in people who were infected with COVID, especially in India, where the fungi that, that cause it are more common. And in this case, it's a really, really gruesome infection. So the infection quite often starts in the sinuses. And then from there, it kind of spreads and infects tissue and kills it as it goes along. So um, quite often gets into the eyes, can get into the kind of mouth. The way to get rid of it is to basically cut away the infected tissue because it kills the tissue and causes it to turn black. Um, yeah, it's pretty gruesome. But not that many of them kill. 
Well, I'm glad to hear that, but these all sound pretty nasty. And fungi as well are becoming increasingly resistant to antifungal medications. How is this happening? Just like with antibiotic-resistant bacteria, we've seen the problem of antibiotic overuse resulting in bacteria evolving resistance to these common drugs. The same thing is happening with fungi, and there isn't much of a pipeline of them being developed. So just like we need new antibiotics, we also desperately and urgently need new antifungals. And what about vaccines? Are any of those coming along in the pipeline? (sighs) Vaccines. So there are no human vaccines for fungi. I didn't know that. I'd never even thought about it, but there, but there aren't. The only vaccine that there is, is one for bats. So it would be possible to, to develop antifungal vaccines, but there aren't any for humans at the moment. And, you know, it would take, it would take years of research to be able to develop one because that infrastructure isn't there at the moment. Okay, so more antifungal resistance, no vaccines, and... On top of all of this, fungi can also be really difficult to eradicate from the environment. And an example of that is the one you mentioned, Candida auris, which can be resistant to antifungals and can spread from person to person. And okay, it's not as bad as The Last of Us, where a fungal expert advises bombing a city to contain the infection. But Candida auris can be a really big problem, can't it? It's really difficult. It, it, it tends to infect hospital patients. You get these outbreaks in hospitals. You have to close down entire wards. I think in some cases, hospitals have had to close for, for a few days. It's really difficult to get rid of this thing because it's partially resistant to disinfectants and heat. And the thing about Candida auris is that it, it's a bit terrifying because no one had ever knew it existed until about 2009 when it was detected in the ear canal of this 70-year-old Japanese woman in Tokyo. And since then, it has spread across the world. So it is a bit of a nightmare. So, Linda, I think it's time for us to get to what I really want to know about. How likely is a fungal pandemic? Most fungal infections are not spread person to person, so they're inhaled, which is good. There's less likelihood of it becoming a kind of global pandemic scenario. That's not to say that it couldn't, though, because there are some species like some of these human pathogens that are spread person to person. And while the chances of there being a kind of person to person spread fungal pathogen that's becomes a global pandemic. It kind of hasn't happened yet. It has happened in other species. So chytrid is a disease that infects amphibians, which kind of emerged in recent decades and has has swept across the globe and wiped out huge numbers of amphibian species. It's like a massive, massive problem. And it just shows that pathogenic fungi can emerge, which which decimate not just, I mean, in the case of amphibians, it's not just one species like, a, like humans, it's large numbers of amphibian species. And actually, fungal infections in different species, I mean, this could be the issue that actually takes down humanity, because our crops could get infected with a deadly fungus. Yeah, and I think this is the thing that I find a little bit more alarming, actually. So every year, approximately 40% of the world's rice crops are lost to this fungal disease called rice blast disease. I think if a, a fungus emerged which caused widespread crop loss, that could be a problem. It's very difficult to contain 
outbreaks of diseases once they get started in crops as well as humans. And this takes us back to our environmental problems and the climate crisis, because of course, these are also putting our crops at risk of failure already. Yeah, and I think if crops are weakened and plants are already struggling, they're going to be more vulnerable to disease caused by fungi. Another problem is that warmer temperatures might make it more likely that um, those fungal spores are not killed over the winter. And then you, you have a bigger kind of reservoir of spores out there to kind of trigger new disease the the following year. But it's not just about warming temperatures, I think. Humans are encroaching on ecosystems and territories that they never previously did due to things like deforestation, people being forced to move because of warming temperatures into, into new areas. And that potentially brings us into contact with viruses, bacteria and fungi that we've never encountered before. You know, we really don't know what's out there. So there's a lot, a lot of reason for not panicking, but there needs to be a lot more research into new antifungal treatments. The world needs more mycologists and better surveillance to keep an eye on what's coming out and what's causing disease. Well, Linda, it's been so fascinating thank you for coming on and I guess the takeaway is don't panic do more research and watch out for anyone with mushrooms that are sprouting out of their head especially if they're kind of running in a kind of jerky zombie way and trying to bite you (laughs) (laughs) very sensible advice Linda thank you so much you're welcome thank you thanks again to Linda Geddes You can find a link to her piece on the dangers of fungal infections on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. Before you go, I wanted to let you know that Pop Culture with Shantae Joseph is back for a second series this Thursday, the 16th of March. Each week, Shantae chats to a range of guests to look into the stories that everyone's talking about. A couple of my favourites from last series asked why on earth Matt Hancock went on I'm a Celebrity and how Rihanna became such an icon. With so much going on in the world of pop and internet culture, it's not to be missed. Search for Pop Culture with Shantae Joseph wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. And that's it from us today. This episode was produced by me, Madeline Finley. It was sound designed by Joel Cox. And it was executive produced by Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. This is The Guardian.